Welcome everyone. This is Carlos from Seed Camp. Today we have a interesting topic, web design. Web design is one of these things that almost seems like black magic at times. We we look at websites that are beautiful and think, my goodness, if I could have a site like that, conversions would go up, my brand would be amazing. But what I have today is one of the best web designers out there. And what he's going to do is he's going to help us peel away the layers of what defines good web design, what defines good usability, what defines a good aesthetic, and how do you get there? Um, our guest today is Joe Furr, founder of Point Studio. Point Studio is a team of five that puts together some of the best sites, including ours. So just, just so you know, Seedcamp's website was designed by Joe, as well as some of our portfolio companies. Some really beautiful sites, some beautiful illustration, and some colors that are very on point at the moment. So with that, welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me. We always like to start off with a little bit about the, the background. I, I'm not going to ask you your age on, <laughs> on the podcast, but from what I understand, you've been doing this for at least a decade. Yes. Yeah, so I started working in creative agencies, originally in a print background, and then moved quickly into digital. And I've spent a few years doing that. I started to dabble with kind of tech startup world. So I was working on a product of my own for a while. I was in cohort two of Entrepreneur First. So I was sort of pursuing that for a few months. And that was really when I kind of landed in, in the kind of tech startup world. And from there, I'd met lots of interesting investors, founders, different products that I hadn't been exposed to previously. And that very naturally then grew into working closely with all of those interesting people. And as that workload and demand grew, it grew into something more than just being an independent designer and grew into Point Studio. So now there's five of us. We work mostly with early stage companies, so C to probably Series C, I would say. And in terms of industry, I mean, we're agnostic. We work on lots of different types of um very, very, very types of businesses. Um, but the stage is quite crucial for us to think where we can offer a lot of value is in those early stages. And our focus is on really where brand meets digital. So we do a lot of brand work and we do a lot of digital implementation. So web design, as you mentioned, as well as product design, amongst other things. Cool. So with any new business, there's an emphasis on team that will define the quality of, of the business. When you started Point, was it just you or did you bring somebody else in at the same time or were you working together with somebody else and, and what, what roles did you have? So initially it was just me. But that was kind of, I guess, natural because I think at the time it wasn't even intended to, to evolve into a studio. But I think after probably a few months uh, and the client base grew, it became very clear that this was something larger than just me. So following that, Annika, who I used to work with in creative agency back in the day, she came on board just to kind of help maintain everything really and run the studio um, alongside me. And so she was just came on board relatively early on. And then the, the first hire from then was designer. And uh, since then, we've hired another designer and, an, and a project manager to help oversee each of the projects. Cool. So walk us through your average day. Like what, what do you wake up? How do you get your inspiration? Like read wallpaper magazine? 
I don't know. What, what do you do? How do you get inspired? How, how do you divide your day? I mean, design is kind of what I live and breathe. I, I've every, it seems every spare minute of every day I'm doing something design-related, whether it's just in Photoshop looking at an idea or reading an article about it or just doing lots of visual design research. It's something that I love doing. So I guess I'm constantly engaged in that world. And I, I think for me... Uh, my sort of obsession is from a visual design perspective. So I'm, whether it's on Instagram, I'm saving things down at all times. I'm trying to take a look at what's going on out in the world. And then I can use all of those references going forward for when we have an interesting brief uh, in that particular industry. Or, mm. you know, when there's, when we're doing a brand for a fintech startup and I've saved an article about, you know, fintech design or whatever it may be, that those things can be really useful. And from a sort of day-to-day perspective, I mean, my role uh, is kind of across being hands-on with design still and also managing the process, being a direct creative director for the other guys in the team and getting to work with lots of really interesting people who run early-stage businesses who all have a pretty unique perspective on the world and, and how they can improve it. We're going to start peeling away the layers of kind of what you do and how you work with people. But if, if just in this topic of design and how you inspire yourself, if somebody had to say something nice about you 30 years from now in sort of a memorial of, of not your death or anything like that, but more so like a memorial of your work, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a, the, the way that, you know, some, some great architects sometimes get mm-hmm. uh, in memoriams and they had to like describe what it was that drove the creative process of you and other people could then identify a very unique Joe for a look. Mm. What, where does it come from? Where does this inspiration come from? How would you describe the creative process that concludes with the very unique visual style that you have? So I think there's two things. One is hopefully something which will be part of the work that we do forever is the fact that it's meaningful so not something that's just superficial or fly by night this is something that either people love or affects people long term so I think that really is the underpinning thing of of everything that we try to create from a visual perspective I mean I don't actually think I think we kind of do have a style in a way sometimes the studio but everything that we create is bespoke for every individual and every client so we don't necessarily say, right, we are great illustrators and we love, you know, these colours and if you if you need that style, come to us and we'll nail that. What we say is, okay, you tell us everything there is to know about your particular business and we will try and translate that into the most appropriate visual style for you. That's true, but imagine somebody came to you who was very clearly tacky. Like, in your by your definition, was like, oh my gosh, you have no taste. Mm. And they gave you the brief... And you were just like, okay, I have the choice of either working with this person and educating them or telling them kind of a better version of what they think, or you just don't. You just say, I'm sorry, I'm going to fire you as a potential customer. Walk us through how you choose customers and how you can help customers understand their look. Mm, Okay. So I guess when I say we we try and understand everything we know about the business uh, and we'll define a style that's appropriate, we're not asking you what you think your style should be. And if you say, oh, I really like green, we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll find the right green for you. It's, n- it's not subjective on any level. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter what your favorite color is. 
In terms of how we make decisions on clients, I think the key thing is that they, to a degree, understand what it is we're trying to achieve and, the, and more importantly, value it. There are people that we speak to who kind of just have an inherent sense that they just need a new website and they've been given a little bit of budget for it and they're just farming it out there. And they're not the people that we want to work with. The people we want to work with are the people who really understand why brand is important or what the website needs to achieve to improve the business and will really value our expertise and our recommendations and implement them accurately. Okay, so it's time now to jump right into how it is that you engage with those customers. So we've established your creative sources to some extent. We'll go back to that. How you identify if a customer is right for you, and now you're engaged. Mm -hmm. So walk us through step-by-step the things that you expect from your customer to deliver something that's valuable. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, you're both proud of. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I mean, we, we started talking about web design. I mean, I think most of our projects probably start at a brand level and then move into web design. So I'll start there if that's okay with you. And, and when you say that, can you be more specific? Because there are branding agencies out there that are friends and and are you saying that you work in collaboration with them or you deal with their output and you, that becomes your input or are you entirely replacing them? Walk us through that. So our focus as a studio is design related. So when we talk about brand, we're talking mostly about visual identity execution. Mm -hmm. So... Typically, we will pick up a brand project either once a strategy has been in place with a brand strategy consultant or however it may be, or if that isn't in place, we will work with a third party alongside them to develop that kind of clear purpose. And so at the stage where we really start to add value is when we have a clear idea of what the business does, who it's for, why it's here, and what the kind of ideal perception of that brand should be and so our first stage is immersion research we do interviews with founders and exec teams depending on how big the, the team is and we want to know about the history of the company about the future of the company how the founders met every every single piece of information we can get and the idea of that is it will give us some clear insights to the type of brand that we need to then develop. So I'll give you an example. One of the things we speak a lot about is personality, brand personality. So a lot of people say, oh, we want to be friendly or we want to be simple or we want to be modern or whatever it may be. And we, we have an exercise where we take key stakeholders in a project and each of them has to choose five personality traits of the brand that they think are important. And then we need to get, say, of those 25 words down to five that everybody agrees on. And then essentially those, those five words are used as a reference and, a, and the, the centerpiece of everything that we then create. So if we think about something that's, you know, being friendly is very important and so is being trustworthy. When you start thinking about a color treatment for a brand or a typography choice, you can start to make those decisions from an objective perspective. It's not about, I like green. It's about, for this specific audience, at this specific time in the user journey, what is the colour that needs to communicate the fact that we're trustworthy and you can trust us with your personal information? Or at the top of the funnel, when you're engaging with the brand for the very first time, what are the colours that are going to grab your attention and 
keep you engaged and wanting to learn more. You know, so you can start to codify that process to a certain extent. All right. So step one, knowing and having a high quality brand personality and identity and purpose so that you then have something to work with. So presumably there is a method upon which you decide color equals trust or color equals fear or color equals sexuality or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have that similar structure for across all elements of the site. So mm-hmm. you've taken a, a, the purpose of the site and you say the purpose is an informative site or it's a com- commerce site or it's whatever. And then you say... These are the layouts that I know work, or these are the layouts that I prefer from a visual design perspective. These are the colors. These are the buttons. These are the walk us through the catalog of things that you decide on behalf of the client and the ones that you work along with the client to nail down to then. So what ends up being the ultimate? In in a sense, it's kind of for us internally, it's trial and error to understand and and kind of a balancing act as well because. Let's say you have, you know, this kind of standard suite of brand assets like mm-hmm. logos and color and type and patterns and art direction style, things like that. You can say, right, we, we want, we need to have a brand that's very human. And so you can choose a typeface that feels human, whatever that means. So that might mean it's the shapes within that are more um, organic. Organic, yeah. And then your art direction style may then be able to adjust to be something that feels less human because the typeface is doing that job for you and actually we can achieve something else with a particular art direction style. And then you kind of want to then try sort of every different version of that to get a sense of which one is balancing out the best. And Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, we generally do... Uh, that process takes about four weeks and I would say of all of the work that we produce, we probably present about 5% of it. Can you give me examples of stuff you've been embarrassed about? Stuff that you were like, you know, that was not my best work and, and why? What did you compromise um, on? Because we present multiple options, so we'll do two or three different ideas for a brand. You may naturally fall on a spectrum of something that's very outlandish and something that's maybe more straightforward. And you're always in a discussion with the client on either which is most appropriate and what's going to be most effective long-term. And ultimately, there are going to be decisions where you choose those things that are a little bit safer and left on the table that nobody will ever see is a a brand which potentially could have been incredible, which is always a regret. And Mm -hmm. instead, there's something that goes out which feels a little safe and it's not something that you, you want to absolutely shout about from the rooftops because it's, you know it's ticked a lot of the functional boxes that the business is trying to achieve. Like, you know, in it, we need to be trustworthy or it could be a very risk averse business that, you know, they're going very well, they're growing, the profits are going up and they just cannot change anything too drastically, which is a good reason, but equally design can be compromised if it's you know looked at through that lens. Mm. Right. So we left off at the four week process of interplay between guesstimates that you have from the brand brief across a typeface, artwork, illustration, all that stuff. You show 5% of that to the client. Client says, good job. Let's go ahead with it. Or, but I really wanted it to look like fill in the gap competitor. Mm. What happens? I mentioned before about it being objective rather than subjective. And the way in which we 
develop all of those ideas from a place of research and analysis and trial and error and the discussions and interviews that we had at the very first stage. So when we're saying this is your new brand and this is how it should come to life, it's based on all of these discussions and proof points along that entire journey. So if at that moment they say, but I want it to be green, there we have a whole host of, of evidence to suggest either why it is green and great or actually green wouldn't be appropriate because X competitors are all green and currently no one in this space is purple, for example. And so basically what you're saying is that you come heavily armed to the meeting so that when any, any objection flares up, you have good ammunition to basically tell them they're dumb and that your choice is the best. Well, it's it's not even we're right, you're wrong. It's this is the data, this is the information, and let's discuss it. And what are your reasons for why you want to do that? And here are our reasons why we want to do this. And well, there's a trust. We could be right too, too. Like let's discuss it. There's a trust element. People hired you because they trust you. So when you say actually this is what I recommend, it's because you've you've nailed it. But do you think that the decision making that you're concluding with these 5% uh, samples uh, that people have to choose from. You think that because that is something that is driven by a process that you've kind of invented and that does tie in with maybe some of the training that you've received, but is unique to you, will look dated or will have some elements of repetitiveness to it and that there's a risk there that that it ends up being, even though you're justifiable, ends up being same-samey? Mm. I think... You're striving for something that's timeless, but a brand is never finished. It's always evolving. So you will you will look to either refresh a brand every few years or so, or you will see the style of a brand change from campaign to campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you want to be inherently consistent is the kind of big things, the tone of voice or the personality or the you know we've talked about assets the the logos and the it you know look at monzo they have their card they have that mm-hmm. color they actually own that that's not necessarily something that they they may want to move away from um but their the rest of their brand may evolve drastically over the next few years mm-hmm. so it's a kind of constant evolution really but a point studio website has a common is that there's a certain level of quality how all the assets come together there's a certain element of quality to it which is great right so knowing that what five tips would you give to a founder to make sure that no matter who they hire they can get something close to the quality that people experience uh, working with you what are the five tips the first thing is probably simplicity Mm -hmm. we from a visual perspective anything too complex can be very overwhelming and whoever is viewing the website whoever is engaging with the brand they want to know the bare minimum and they want to be spoon fed step by step to a degree it'll allow it to be more timeless I was just reading in Courier magazine downstairs in reception uh, some coconut oil brand their original logo was sort of um, 80s inspired sort of retro vibe and when you have a very specific uh, particularly a time-based reference like that you know it's going to date very quickly so ultimately you want to look for something that's as simple as possible so it won't date too drastically all right simplicity is one 
Second thing would be consistency, so along similar lines, wherever somebody is engaging with your brand, you want to make sure that they are aware of who you are. So, for, for example, if you look at someone like Nike, you could take the Nike logo off an ad and you know it's Nike and you can remove everything else and leave the logo and you know it's Nike. They, they have a consistency across absolutely everything that they do, which they can own. And so when you hand out a leaflet at a tube station and then someone goes on, online or someone downloads the app or someone sees you at an event, you want to be able to be seen in a completely consistent way. And so the consumer can start to have a relationship with you and with that brand. Mm. Number three. I don't know if this is a necessarily design thing, but one thing that we speak a lot about, particularly with tech companies, is uh, and particularly for websites, is when you're... Thinking about your messaging, particularly top of the funnel, like homepage, landing page, be benefit-led, not feature-led. So often you'll land on a tech company's homepage and it'll say machine learning driven API for blah, 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 blah. And I always think, you know, if, if you're buying a microwave... Nobody is being sold by the intricacies of how the microwave is working, what the microwave yeah. is doing to the to the food. It's I can have a jacket potato in three minutes rather than an hour. Yeah. So sell with the benefit and the emotional led benefit rather than just the functional what you do. You know. All right. What else do you see that that makes something not have quality on on the web? I think it's the 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 devils in the details. So. Often, particularly with websites, uh, a little interaction, a little animation, when you open a menu, the way that opens, those details, that extra, the, the last 2% is really where the, the consumer sees that sort of subconscious joy in, in an engagement. So I think taking care of the details, not just kind of putting something up and... and you know, I mean, it's a difficult one because you know, with a lot of the companies that we work with, they have a red early early stage. They have a lot of stuff they have to worry about, and they need to crank out the next feature. So, to add a little, you know, animation or transition when you're clicking on a button doesn't seem like it's the top of their priority. But how do you know when that's too much? I mean, like I remember the first website I built, and it was like way too much. Everything too much. Dancing baby, flashing buttons. You know, mm-hmm. like how is when when's the fine line between? 2% of details that makes the difference versus you've gone over the top. Yeah, I mean, you you want to avoid it being a, a circus and flashing lights and things moving. Ultimately, everything must have a purpose. I mean, you don't want to add anything in that is unnecessary. So if you have lots of animations and transitions and things like that, the reason why you're adding those things is because either it makes some a dull moment more more satisfying from a user perspective or it gives feedback so I've hit that button okay it's animated and rotated whatever it may have done and that I now know from a user perspective that that's clicked and now I'm just waiting for the for the next page to load or whatever it may be so I think ensuring everything has a purpose is crucial as well rather than just throwing anything in willy-nilly right so these are the five Jofer rules for good design or a good initiation of a brief to, to website design. One, simplicity. Two, consistency. Three, benefit-led, not feature-led. Four, details. Make sure the last 2% is where you put your effort because that's where the joy lives. And five, everything must have a purpose on the site. Anything you want to add to it? 
I'll take that. There you go. Now, if you had to look at that five list and think of about a think of period in time where the products, because obviously different time periods didn't necessarily have web web representing it. Mm. Is there a time frame where these rules fall apart? Where the aesthetic that that decade or that or that period or that product broke those rules intentionally and yet create an iconic image? Yeah, I mean, I think to a degree, everything has a time and a place. So eBay, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, you, yeah, it, context is key, right? And if you look at design in the seventies, I mean, mm-hmm. I wasn't around then, so I don't have a huge pool of reference. But mm-hmm. the the general style is very different to what the general style would be now. But it doesn't mean that it was wrong at the time. I mean, mm-hmm. it was appropriate for that time and in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some key. Some of those are very sort of long-standing um, design principles. So, you know, simplicity and consistency, things like that. If you look back to um, Dieter Rams, who's a great industrial designer, look at all a lot of his design work for Braun, there is a there is a lot of consistency there and there's a lot of simplicity there in terms of the execution and how things work um, as well as what they look like. So I think some of the core principles will run forever and other things will sort of undulate with trends and context of the of the time. Yeah, and, and the thing is that with picking somebody like Dieter Ramsey, you're all also kind of cheating a little bit because he is kind of like the grandfather of of the of the aesthetic, and I could draw a straight line from from him to Point Studios kind of general aesthetic. And I'm, I, what I'm trying to understand is in a world where brands are evolving every five years and people are looking at their websites and thinking, I have a brand identity, I just want to represent that in a way that is fresh, novel, will stand out, will cost me less to spend to acquire a customer because the site will sell itself. Part of that, in order to achieve that, is staying one step ahead of what the masses are doing. And part of that sometimes means breaking the rules of what's common. And I'm curious as to, you know, if you reference designers like Dieter, one of the issues is that it, it, it falls into one category of, of, of sort of aesthetic. Mm. And I'm trying to figure out if in this sort of whenever things go through waves, what the sort of rejection of a Dieter style inspired would look like and yet still fulfill Joe's five rules. Like what would be the polar opposite? Is Carl Lagerfeld that? I, I don't know. Like what would that be? And then how, how does a founder navigate that? How do, how do they navigate, oh, Bauhausian type style was really cool and now websites resemble that with flat design and all this kind of crap but you know that wave is coming to an end and it's already starting to look dated just like skeuomorphic designs became dated mm-hmm. and then the next one is kitsch you know how do I get ahead of that mm-hmm. but and, and do any of those break the five rules I think the rules live within each of those things you, you always want to create a brand and, and a design style which you can own and People that instantly recognize you from, you know, that kind of three-second dwell time um, concept. So a lot of the time in order to do that, you need to break some rules along the way. And you see a lot of, particularly early-stage tech companies, every single website looks the same because we've taken off that Squarespace template and we've just changed the headline and put up a free image in the background with someone drinking coffee in office or whatever it may be. And they all look absolutely the same. So obviously you want to be breaking that down and, and avoiding that like the plague. 
really the way to do that is, as I was saying before, at the start of our process, understanding what you do and the purpose of why you do it. And then we can create a brand that is absolutely bespoke to you and why you're around, rather than looking at the sort of um, superficial aspects of design, like, you know, should this have a colour overlay on it or, you know, what colour should the button be? It's, it's not really about those things. It's about creating something very, very bespoke for you that will engage you with your customers. If you pick large companies, anyone, big name, anyone, any brand anybody would know, and you could just miraculously have them be your customer. Which brand would it be? And what would be the changes based upon what you know the brand is from what their current representation of their aesthetic is because it's inconsistent with that? Sometimes I think some of the brands, I mean, instantly the ones that come to mind are a lot of the sexy brands out there, but I've just been doing lots of boring uh, functional business related stuff with HMRC, those kind of companies and well, companies. And Often those are quite interesting because design isn't just how things look, but it's how yeah. things work. A lot of the processes there are very dated and impossible to navigate. So, again, you don't want to just say, okay, let's let's take a look at the top 10 different user journeys that people need to go through with someone like HMRC. Uh, okay, let's create an updated logo and change the typefaces, right? That's not going to achieve anything. What we can do is look at the problems along those user journeys and redesign that flow in a way that's going to make people able to achieve what they're trying to do much faster and much more easily. Okay. For, for example, we just work with a, a company called Tulip who are a cremation company in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And that obviously poses a very unique design challenge because your customer is a 60-year-old person whose mum's just died and they're not particularly in a state where they want to have a really joyful experience online. And looking at the industry as a whole, as you can imagine, there's not much design influence. So we had to go from a complete blank canvas to develop something that would be appropriate for that audience at that moment in their life, but also create, still create a brand that is interesting and reflected the sort of progressive nature of the company. Let's talk about a, a few other bits that I think are useful for startups. So we, we talked about um, a little bit about what to expect when they come and engage with you, a little bit about your creative process, which is still a bit of a black box. We talked a little bit about the assets that make up that black box. We talked about some of the elements that as a founder you should consider, the, the five of them. Now let's talk about how to, how to budget appropriately, how to manage project manage and complete a, a project give us give us the 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 top three pieces of advice that you have there uh, how to price it how to budget for it and how to run it on schedule and get it done quickly you want to throw some rule of thumbs just for people to sort of understand what what a good product takes it's so hard to to judge typically brand we say it takes about eight to ten weeks mm. a website is how long's piece string i would say you're looking at Two to three months, maybe. Okay. You know, if you're talking like a marketing website where it's like four pages and it says homepage about us, product yeah. features, you know, you could be looking at five weeks. But particularly if there's like product design involved, mm. you know, that's a huge piece of work. That could be a year. Yeah. Um, you know, when we worked with Thriver, we did the brand initially and then we did the packaging and we did an animation for their sort of like how-to guide. 
um, and then brought the website to life from a marketing perspective. But then a huge piece of that work was, okay, I've done my blood test, I'll send it back to you. Now I have a dashboard which tells me, oh, great, my magnesium level's gone up or whatever it is. Yeah. And the, the thinking involved in developing that is much greater than a marketing landing page. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Well, no, it's useful for people to know, right? Mm-hmm. It's useful to know because if you're if you want to engage with somebody like you, if you don't have funding to survive those three mm-hmm. months and six months a year for specific kind of uh, projects you just outlined, it becomes impossible. Yeah, and one way you can approach it is, let's say you do have product design, um, a mobile app. Let's say there is, I don't know, sixty different screens across a number of different user journeys. Mm-hmm. We can approach the design from a, we're essentially creating a design system for that application. So maybe we produce designs for 10 of those screens. Mm. And then internally, your engineers can roll those things out across the rest of the user journey Mm. with the guidance from us to make sure it is applied um, consistently. So there are ways in which, you know, we can adjust our process to deliver everything that you need without spending a year and, you know, Mm. fair enough. We always like to end with, with some fun questions that, I mean, we've kind of asked them all along the way, but if there was um, if there was a superpower that you could have from the Marvel Universe, which superpower would it be? Uh, I was having this conversation with my brother the other day. I don't know about Marvel. I'm not a superhero fan, but I would go with, um, I think teleportation is pretty good. Teleportation, right? Yeah. My, my little brother said jump. He would, he'd be able to jump like as far as he wanted to. And we just massively picked holes in it. It absolutely destroyed him. At the time, I said I would fly. And I said that as he was jumping to Australia, I'd just fly alongside him and just nudge him off course so he'd land in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. It's good fun. Yeah, then you always you also need the, the bone structure to be able to land, the, land that kind of landing. Yeah, and he said it, it, his um, the distance he could jump was dependent on how fast and how far he ran before he took off. So it just logistically it was going to be an absolute nightmare for him from the point of view that you you have uh, you don't have to go super like broad here what do you think we'll look back on 20 years from now and think oh my god that was just a, this aberration of design and be like oh god that's going on right now i think this kind of flat ui and the general style of most typical startups particularly in early stage where everybody has you know these five colors there's there's no treatment to to them whatsoever in terms of adding any depth and there is just a sort of off the shelf photography and off the shelf illustration style that's just applied and you know i see things all the time on twitter of 2018 design trends and there's just hundreds and hundreds of websites and they look effectively identical when when do you think you'll have your first augmented reality uh, project for point studio um, or virtual reality one for that matter first virtual reality brand presence it hasn't happened yet but we'll this is a super interesting one anytime soon hopefully nice alright well with that thanks for joining us Joe pleasure until next time guys thanks for listening if you enjoyed the podcast don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show